0: Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art and Not Sorry Art School. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. The Not Sorry Art Podcast is brought to you by Not Sorry Art School, my online art school where I teach representational painting skills to painters of all levels. And right now we are offering a free seven-day boot camp. I could not be more proud of this free seven-day boot camp that I've created and don't worry I know I just said boot camp but there are no burpees or push-ups in this course in fact the whole idea is that over the course of seven days and you can take that at your own pace you don't have to do them all in a row you will learn things like composition drawing value color light style and storytelling over the span of seven different lessons they're about 20 minutes long and there's a little bit of homework with each one that you can of course do if you feel like it it's wonderful it's a great foray into not Sorry Art School. If you've ever been on the fence of whether or not you should take Not Sorry Art School, I implore you to try out this free boot camp. Let me know what you think. And of course, we have a wonderful free community over at Kajabi Communities where we're encouraging each other. Just another free asset that you can use. If you are interested, please check out the show notes to learn more about the free seven day boot camp. and Of course, Not Sorry Art School. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari and thanks for being here I'm really excited for today's episode as I interview Haley DeRoche, who's known on the internet as Official Sad Beige. Haley is a mother, librarian, author, and comedy writer whose aesthetic commentary on minimalism and the popularity of neutral colors for children has made their account, Official Sad Beige, a hilariously precise satire that exposes the beige trend for what it is, an exercise in classism that looks down on the bright colors and accessibility of consumer goods in our society. Official Sad Beige confronts several trends on the internet and consumer culture, including mommy influencers, van life vloggers, and their experiences with motherhood, but their most well-known content is probably the role of Werner Herzog, yes, German filmmaker Werner Herzog, who Sad Beige employs as the all-neutral spokesperson for kids dressing in browns and beiges and of course looking so sad and so lonely. I was really happy to get to chat with Haley about their popular channel and how children's clothing has somehow become a vehicle for classism and how both of our work speaks to the trend of inconspicuous consumption that has become another way for the upper class to look down on the rest of society. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes to follow Official Sad Beige and get more of their content on Instagram, TikTok, Patreon, and more. I hope you guys enjoy this episode and as always, happy creating. Welcome, Haley. I'm so excited to talk to you. I was giddy all morning. I've been wanting to chat with you forever. As anyone who's a fan of your sad beige content, I am just so excited to jump into the meaning behind it, what it's like to be sort of an internet phenomenon <laughs> right now. I feel like I hear <laughs> sad beige everywhere. So thank you so much for being here. Would you like to sort of self introduce? Like, how do you identify? Who are you? I feel like you're a hard person to peg down because you're. you're- <laughs> I feel like you're an artist, but I won't put words in your mouth. So welcome.
1: Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I have been so excited to be here. Um, Like you said, uh, my name is Haley. I am more often known as that sad beige lady or sad beige. Um, I'm the creator of the Werner Herzog's sad beige clothes for sad beige children, but I'm also a comedy writer um, and I just do all sorts of things. So I would call myself a comedy writer, but I love the fact that you think of it as art because I also think of it as art and most people don't.
0: Oh yes, no, I feel like anytime you sort of go, like anytime you present on the internet, I feel like just inherently it gets a little watered down. And I wonder if it's the accessibility of it. I'm not really sure, I'm trying to figure it out too. But for me, you know, I went to an undergraduate art program and I very much keep up with like the art world and stuff. And I, I feel like, especially with the sad beige, it feels like such a project, you know, that also can can be a little bit of like a buzzword in the art world. But I think there's never been something that fits that definition better. You know, it's this (laughs) ongoing commentary, and it, it truly gets at the heart of like, what I think most artists want to do, which is engage a wider conversation that isn't just like a bumper sticker narrative about classism. But it's this humor-filled approach to why do we dress our children in beige and and gray and what does that say about us? That's what all artists are trying to do. So for me, it fits perfectly. I'm curious if we can just jump right into Sad Beige. What was the catalyst for it? And when did you know that you you struck metaphorical gold or like metallic (laughs) beige, I guess?
1: (laughs) Right. Um, So I was actually just searching for a gift to buy somebody for a baby shower. Very innocent just going onto Amazon. I know I shouldn't, but I did. Um, and I came across these little stacking cups and everyone's familiar with the little baby stacking cups, but normally they come in like these bright, garish colors. And this one was very muted, but beyond the muted factor of that, it was also the marketing that really drew me in because these children were playing with it, but they were having such somber expressions on their faces. And I think so often, when people view my comedy they really focus on just the colors but what i'm really focusing on is the marketing and the way that we talk about parenting in terms of aesthetic and what i love is that i'm able to kind of pull people into that conversation the more of that they watch and they kind of realize that there's more going on here than just talking about muted tones um It took off immediately. It was really one of my first viral videos I've ever had. It was very overwhelming, but lucky for me, it was the kind of content that I could build on. So for me, it's a very visual comedy. I'm not able to really do it without that visual component. And so I do think of it as a little art project. I'm looking specifically for products and marketing images that fit around a narrative that I can build. So a lot of people will send me pictures of stuff, but it's just, Beige, and I'm like, that's not enough. It's not enough. <laughs> I really need something that I can build a story around.
0: Yes. I love that. I'm, I'm like nodding ferociously. I, I think it's really interesting. And that's what's so great about, I feel like to some degree, internet content, again, it's sort of, I don't know if you pick up on this, but inter- anything that sort of shows up on the internet first, again, you have to like really earn that credibility for some reason. But as far as like not only did you create something that really resonates with clearly a lot of people, um, but the fact that you've turned it into a series, and I've seen you do that with other bodies of work too. Um, you have right yes. now the car, I forget the name <laughs> of it, but we're digging through the car for like a surprise bag, but it's, uh, it's beautiful because it's like the way my car looks. Cause I have two young children and it's like, as much as I try to keep up with it, it's just a cluttered, chaotic mess. <laughs> (laughs) Um, but I feel like a series is such a great, you know, artists, fine artists use that all the time and for you to have it on the internet, it serves such a beautiful purpose. And it really Mm -hmm. does get people, I think, thinking and engaged. And to clarify, I think, you know, I think I've heard you say this too. I'll I'll let you speak to it, but it's not an attack on color per se. It's not that there's something or gray. And I know that I've made similar kind of content with much less reach, but people have also reached out to me and said, I like neutrals because I get overstimulated. And so there's plenty of incredibly valid reasons to like and gravitate towards neutrals. But I'm curious Mm -hmm. if you can expand on sort of where you started to get this class. Pushback and yes, um, did you know it would be such a strong pushback when you started it?
1: Oh, I definitely knew <laughs> um, As a mom with two young children, I am acutely aware of how childcare is marketed to parents. and there's a very clear distinction between child care for poor people, and childcare for rich people, not just in terms of the quality, which I would argue is pretty much the same. If you get right down to it, are the kids loved? Are the kids cared for? Is there communication? All of those things are going to be present in hopefully any childcare setting that you send your child to. Now, what's interesting though, is that you look at the marketing and the ones that exist for a specific type of parent, people who are interested in like Montessori or free range play all of these buzzwords if there's a buzzword you can attach to it I can almost promise you that the marketing is going to be very specific and it's going to be this aesthetic it's going to be telegraphing to the person that we are like you we like this calm structured environment as well and there's nothing again wrong with that but people start to, I think, cut out other options. They look at the garish primary color place and they're like, well, that place must not be as good because the aesthetics are Walmart aesthetics or the Dollar Tree aesthetics, which you do so beautifully in your, I love, sorry to go off tangent, but your work of the Dollar Dollar Tree flowers is so amazing. And like the- The off-brand Barbies, like the colors are so specific to those off-brands. And when you juxtapose that to the higher-end marketing that I think appeals to people who either like the row or wish they could afford the row, um, you just have this whole other conversation going on. And I don't think people like to think I'm classist because I gravitate towards this aesthetic for my child they want to say well I you know they align with my philosophy they're like me and those can be harmless and they can be very not harmless depending on how far you go with it I was looking at one Montessori school for my kid a couple years ago when he was still like preschool age and they had the aesthetics and I just looked at all of the people in their group photo and he would have been the only child of color. And I was like, absolutely not. Like, yeah. I love the philosophy. I love all the information you have here. It very much aligns with me personally, but you're, you're clearly targeting a very specific set of people. Yeah. And people
0: don't like to talk about that side of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you hit it, something that I, I'm just like nodding vigorously again, um, but <laughs> to talk about with, with classism and we hear that word and everyone kind of gets their, their hunches up and everyone gets defensive. And I think that the thing that I have come to with, with classism is it's, it's often less about other people in the sense that like, I don't think people are ever are overtly being classist because right. of reaction to external things, like other people specifically. It's more, exactly we live in a precarious world where unless you are literally probably the 1%, you, in this country, you, your fall from grace, financial security, that is, can be swift and harsh yes. you know, without we've cut away social safety nets. And so even people who might be able to afford, for example, Montessori schooling for their children, it's all underlined with an air of insecurity. And I feel like that comes out a lot in class aesthetics. So it's yes. less to say that if you're in primary, I'm going to judge you. Although I will say there are certainly some of that, <laughs> but the dominant thing for me that I've picked up on is people want to assure themselves that they're going to give their kids a shot at security in a very precarious country. And some of the way that that we sort of irrationally validate that is through understimulation via grays and beiges and limited screen time. And when people point out that there's privilege in that, I think people are unaware of where their internalized classism bumps into a larger conversation.
1: Yes. I love that. There was one daycare that was kind of making the trendy rounds because it was like, it looked more like a bank. <laughs> like it had these like, like sounds playful and fun, yeah. <laughs> right. Playful and fun. It had like a pit that was just tile. And it was just like, this was not designed for children. This was designed for parents and fair. On one hand, the parents are the ones who are signing up. They're the ones paying the bills. So you really want to attract the person who's going to pay you. Mm-hmm. And the kid's probably not going to care yeah. so why not but yeah. it's very interesting to me how people will gravitate to what is specifically marketed towards them like they are doing exactly what it is designed to do yeah. but i don't always see the introspection or self-awareness and like i'm sure that there are there are everybody has spots where they are not introspective or self-aware but it comes out on in the comments in the comments online when people can kind of just say what is really going on in their heart without the fear of repercussion that might happen if they were talking in like a casual social group in real life where they might espouse more progressive ideals
0: yeah. Yeah. And I want to dive into kind of your experience on the internet and kind of the pushback you've gotten. But before I do that, just so I don't lose anyone, some people might be like, okay, okay. But where is the connection between classism and and neutral colors? You know, I'll set it up with a little bit of what I've learned and I'm curious kind of what you have experienced, yes. but there's this idea that like, you know, prior to, for example, the industrial revolution and colonialism, where all of a sudden there's a lot of things going on, but like in the 1820s, 20s, I believe we discover our first synthetic colors purple for example had previously been associated with royalty actually because of how hard it was to get the purple dye there's something called tyrian purple which is now kind of a shade of purple but this color was very exclusive to like the Phoenicians and you had to like grind up snails and I think it costs like it's like worth more than its weight in gold it was extremely expensive and this is obviously one extreme but there's this idea that in order to have sort of gold and shimmery things and even rhinestones are from the river Rhine it's like it's all very elaborate and so poor people a, a good little anecdote that I, I learned is the color russet is often referred to as like a rich brown nowadays but it used to be the color that all of the leftover dye from dyeing the nobilities and the priest would get mixed together and it would turn into these oh. neutrals and grays and browns and so russet was the name of the color that the poorest people wore because they wore the poorest inks because it was the it, you know it's a hierarchy sumptuous Laws. Yeah. So Grays I was thinking babies. of potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that too. That too. But that rustic sort of brown shade was um exclusive to poor people. Now, the industrial revolution happened. All of a sudden, you know, we have the shift away from agrarian and all kinds of things happening. I know I'm synthesizing a lot of information, but all of a sudden, pe- people who have expendable income via the industrial revolution in the West specifically places that are colon- you know, colonizing other parts of the world, have this excess money and this middle class begins to emerge. And the way that they sort of assert themselves in a class way is by acquiring trinkets and by wearing colors, lots of bright colors. In addition to this, in the 1920s, we find titanium oxide that I know it's white and white technically neutral, but it makes the world incredibly colorful because all of a sudden we can prime things with this bright white, it doesn't poison us like lead. And we can see in a graph, the colors explode from about the 1920s on. But interestingly, recently those colors have been shrinking. And this is where it gets to the class argument. What becomes associated with the people in the middle classes eventually becomes inverted, right? Trend cycles, we know this. And so now we're in a place where I believe that kind of the opposite is happening. Refinement, taste, lack of garish colors, it has come to be associated with the wealthier classes. This might change in the future, but as of 2023, that's my stance on it. I'm curious, like, is that kind of- Yes, so
1: (laughs) definitely what I'm seeing. I mean, if you go into Target, which I think is always a good kind of gut check place to go, what's trending magnolia is king queen and it's all very beige very ticking stripe very flower sack Mm -hmm. Um, and it's this i think aspirational view of like homesteading that's also kind of trickling into that yes which is very interesting because in order to do that you basically need to be wealthy you need to have a base of wealth that can be generational. That can be something that you come into and you decide, hey, I'm going to go start a little farm. Um, there's one farm in particular with someone who is related to Jet Blue wealth, as we all know. Um, (laughs) so there's that going on, but what I find really interesting too, is that, um, Oh gosh, I just lost my train of thought. Anyway, yes, you're right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah. Well, getting back to sort of the homestead thing. So, you know, one thing I come from the Ozarks originally, I live in Texas now. And so, you know, I rub shoulders with people who are adjacent to farms or either they work on farms or I've got subscription boxes and stuff. And there's this narrative, you know. Where you know, and a lot of times you think farming, you think of subsistence farming. It's actually incredibly hard for someone who isn't one of those big agricultural companies, and there are like two or three of them, to buy yeah. land and grow and sell produce basically. And so, you know, a lot of people who work through those big companies actually barely survive if they're growing food or crops or, you know, poultry for like Tyson, for example. Um, And oh, if yeah. you want to have like a little subsistence farm, if you want to check out from the system, if you want to sort of disengage, you actually, there's a financial barrier to do so. And I think that's Incredible. another thing is people sort of assume that like, abstaining from bright colors and abstaining from the hectic rat race is like something that you can opt out of but in America at this point you are financially you cannot do that and I think that that really stresses people out either consciously or subconsciously when we have these conversations around magnolia pearl and this bright color conversation oh my god
1: (laughs) oh magnolia pearl they they are absolutely very interesting I will say
0: (laughs) so fascinating it's but you couldn't have come up like it's almost parody level like if you've seen have you seen the trailers for it where they do like video teasers for their clothes and oh yes from snl like it's straight from snl
1: well they had one where it was it was a collection from 2012 that just resurfaced and it was literally (laughs) the plantation collection and they're in a field trying to like (laughs) they're just putting potatoes in like their dresses like they're carrying them around it's it's so funny and sad at the same time because there are people who are actually working in fields who are not wearing $200 dresses to do it and it's almost a mockery of poverty but by doing it in a plantation oldie way I think they they get away with it more than they would if they were like going into a modern tomato field where there are actual children working in America for like 12 hours a day.
0: Yeah. Who often don't have the, you know, the privilege of protected status in the U S so they're paying taxes. They're not getting any benefits. No, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, completely you know, unaware of the actual uh, problem. But I mean, that's kind of what I've, I feel like, you know, as someone who grew up in poverty and who went to a private liberal arts university, one of the things I sort of noticed is that people like to sort of perform their own oppression a little bit, you know, and it can be very minor. Yes. And a lot of times it's a lack of awareness of what they're doing. They're romanticizing. Well, I had a great grandpa who survived the Great Depression. And, you know, it's a sort of, you know, wanting to be relatable and having struggle. But when you don't have, Well, it's not that people don't have real struggle, but they haven't had those class consciousness conversations to understand that, you know, my struggle is with, they haven't oriented themselves in a way. It's a long, hard conversation to have, but then you sort of like you perform oppression, it feels like in some Mm -hmm. way, you know, especially with, I will say specifically with Magnolia Pearl, everyone's doing the best they can, but, you know, to sell a $400 pair of like pantaloons that are tied up with a string just feels incredibly (laughs) out of touch. (laughs) It, it
1: is out of touch is a very gentle way to put it <laughs> yes. oh the thing I was gonna say earlier um there's also a wonderful book that was recommended to me by Interstellar Inter uh
0: um, Interstellar
1: yeah, yeah yeah thank you I can never say it <laughs> yes, I'll put her link in the show <laughs> um, notes yes 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 she's amazing and she talks about color a lot in terms of like folk art so folk art is another way of looking at art that comes from people who don't have much, and it's often very vibrant and joyful. And then you look at what's going on with the upper class and it's really lacking that. And I think when we say that this is what's best for children because there have been one or two studies that people have cited to me that say like, well, the lack of color is really important for children. It creates this calm environment. And I'm not gonna argue with the data, but I am gonna question what is better? how how are we talking about what is best? Are we talking about like making every little possible choice in our lives to like (laughs) optimize our child's childhood and optimize the child themselves? Or are we going to embrace the colors of the world, acknowledge the fact that other cultures have really vibrant, colorful, like customs and artwork that go with their cultures and are we going to then say no the lack of color is better because to me that is really really problematic <laughs> because yeah. it's just ignoring the fact like it's just saying that it's just color when it's not just color it's culture it's your history it's all of this and so to say well this is better and like better by what 1% 1% of what like it's not quantifiable and I think sometimes people go into parenting thinking that if they just make all of the best possible choices at every turn then their child will be a successful project and I think it's not like that but we sure like to think it is because that means that we have power and control
0: Yeah.
1: yeah when we don't and it's scary. It's scary to raise kids. I mean, <laughs> you truly don't know you are doing your best, but
0: that's all you can do. Well, and I think, I love that you connected it back to motherhood because I think that that's another place where a lot of this anxiety stems from is, you know, with sort of one of my, like, if I have one in me kind of <laughs> things is the meritocracy. I kind of am obnoxious mm. on TikTok, to be honest with you, but I, I, I've read a lot of books on it is my biggest thing. And as someone who sort of, I feel like perfectly fits the archetypical, you know, I, I grew up in poverty, my parents struggled with addiction and I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I'm using massive air quotes there, but <laughs> to you go to college. And now in hindsight, it's a mixture of stupid luck and huge amount of privilege. I'm, I'm white, I am physically able in a lot of ways. And again, very much luck. You know, I am very critical of the meritocracy because one of the yes. things that helped me to succeed was I cut my parents off because they were so toxic that it ended up being an asset. Cause a lot of my friends who were way smarter, way more talented than me in every single regard helped their family. They kept working the fast food Mm -hmm. job and giving half their paychecks to their family. And you know what, it kept them from being able to graduate. And that dramatically Uh, messes with your outcome. And so I think a lot of people are raising children. We say, okay, well, if I believe in the meritocracy, then I simply have to raise a perfect human without any flaws and they will earn a good life. When you are critical and aware of the meritocracy and how it's not actually a real thing, you're, you're, you're the way you view the world shifts. You no longer are like, my kid has to be perfect. You're sort of aware that That amount of perfection isn't actually going to be the thing that gets, it just basically all all that to say is it puts this enormous amount of pressure on doing everything right as a parent. And even down to the fact that you dress them in beige and you don't overstimulate them and it it really is entangled in a lot of different other isms, you know?
1: Yes. And when it goes wrong, then you blame yourself, even though it going wrong is exactly how it goes every time. Like the universe is going to do what it does. Your kid's going to be who they are and things are going to happen that you cannot possibly foresee or could have planned for. And all of that's just going to happen. And I would hate for people to think, well, I made the wrong choices and this is my fault. Maybe not. I painted my baby's room, the wrong shade of beige, but (laughs) But it's bigger than that. (laughs) It's bigger than that though. Like it's just, it's so hard. And I think once we free ourselves from Not responsibility, but free ourselves from guilt if we are doing the best we can, that that's really critical. And sometimes that means being like, you know what, maybe this shade of beige would be better for their room. Maybe it would stimulate their brain 1% more, but also maybe not. Maybe it's fine just the way it is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of that pressure, you know, I think you mentioned earlier, kind of like stimulation, it brings me to kind of another Mm -hmm. one of my axes to grind, which is that a lot of times, sorry, I have a ton of them. A lot of times, people feel so much shame about like that they can't curate their children's life in the best way. And I see, you know, a lot of people getting really frustrated with parents who put their kids on screens. Well, you know, one of my biggest struggles right now is we are in a childcare crisis. My husband had to quit. Oh my gosh! During the pandemic, because we were, we had yeah. to flip a coin. One of us gets to choose our job. Yeah. We have to watch our kids. Right. Um, <laughs> and so with that, you know, we had you know i try to limit screen time because again it's that li- it's that line between like doing the best i can knowing mm. that like an enormous amount of- I-, I grew up on tv i don't know how i'm a person oh, same. more fine <laughs> with my TV than my parents honestly but i <laughs> but i during the pandemic like we had to do basically in order to get orders out and to keep up with everything 2 or 3 hours of our kids watching tv and we still like i still feel a huge pang of guilt and i've done a lot of the work of like listen, you know, if you don't have childcare and your option is being frustrated with them or them peacefully watching Paw Patrol and, you know, in the front room where okay. they're safe, like that's going to have to be what you choose. And I think it's, it's a good like example of like the, the thing that parents are sort of feeling stress about when it comes to, I know it's just like an aesthetic extension of it to like want beige and, yes. and wood toys as opposed to battery powered toys, mm-hmm. But I think it gets to that, like that point of like, I have to be the perfect parent in a world with like almost no support for parents.
1: Yes. And I think some of it also goes back to almost like the homesteading thing. If you think about it, because if we are putting like homesteading, simple living, all of that on a pedestal without saying it necessarily, that's stuff without screens. Because did they have screens in Little House on the Prairie? No. So we're basically equating screens now with people who can't do that. And so sometimes people will be like, well, you know, if you have to do screens, you know, you shouldn't feel bad. And it's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to say, it's fine. The kids are going to be all right. I think so often parents stress about something that is really what they're stressed about in their own lives. Like we are all on screens a lot and maybe we don't like it and maybe we don't want that for our kids. And that's a valid conversation to have. But I think so often we make it into this, like this thing where if you put your kids on screens you're depriving them of their childhood because they should be out running barefoot through a field. And that field doesn't exist anymore. And it's 120 degrees out. And yeah. if your child is outside alone, CPS is going to get called on you. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> it's very yeah. complex. And I don't think it's that way for everyone. But so often I feel like the conversation ends with it's okay to put your kids on screens if that's what you have to do. And I just want to be like, it's okay, period, dot. It's fine. The kids yeah. are all right. They're going to be okay. Okay we're probably doing much more damage to them in other ways. And by keeping the conversation on screens, we can avoid talking about like the childcare crisis or the fact that schools don't have teachers, that kids are going a full year with a substitute who's not trained. Yep. But if we just keep focusing on screens, then we can feel like we have control. <laughs>
0: Well, and I think it beautifully said, and by the way, I'm going to like cut that out and put it on repeat in my studio with what you said <laughs> about the screens because that is incredibly helpful to hear. But I, you know, it comes down to, I think what a lot of our, you know, I, especially with parenting, I'll just say that, struggles are with yeah. this rugged individualism versus collectivism. Like it's yes. just it's become so convinced <laughs> that to do something about like, for example, gun legislation, you know, mm-hmm. they, it's, that is impossible, but you yeah. as a mom, you can run a house and run a job and do this and do that and do that. That is possible running you to the point where you mess with your health and your mental health and you're yes. running into the ground. We would rather choose that option, um, including ourselves. I'm, I'm saying this as much yes. as much yes. as anything else, um, than to say that we're going to do something. And then to be fair, it is hard to know what to do and where to start. We have we're you know, yeah it's hard to know how to even what? change those things. So do you do when yeah. everything is gerrymandered, when people will be like,
1: well, vote them out. And it's like, that's fine. We vote them out. But the NRA just buys the next guy. It's like whack-a-mole. I mean, you can't with the system as it is right now, we can't win. We are hamstrung. And so I've been a part of moms demand action for a couple of years now and it's great, but it doesn't really feel like I'm doing anything because yeah. nothing changes. And does writing cards to affected cities really help? Not
0: really. <laughs> I will say, I, yeah, and I, I totally agree and get that. I will say, I think that there's a helpful thing to even just like if your first step is like shifting the blame a little bit away from self and a little bit out. And I know that that's like a cardinal sin in our culture. It's like, you know, victim mindset, own up, take your responsibility. Believe me, I hear that it's hard voice to turn down, but you know, I think that there's freedom and liberation, even if it's just like an ounce of breathing room and saying, maybe the problem isn't that I'm an inadequate mom and my kids have to watch Paw Patrol for two hours every morning. So I can get things done. Maybe the shift should be I am sad, I'm heartbroken for a world where my kids can't go play with their neighbors <laughs> because it's too hot yes. of access to uh, the right neighborhood, et cetera. Yes. And, you know, it is sad. And I do think we, it is important to acknowledge where we're limited. But sometimes the first step of saying, like, it's not that I'm a bad mom, I think can be powerful. It's not.
1: Yes. And I think it's saying people are bad moms is the easiest option since the dawn of time, who has been blamed for things going wrong? It's moms. It's always for the everything. mom <laughs> for everything. Yeah, <laughs> and no, so yeah, it's... just refusing to take that mantle. Yeah, yeah, it's really important. Yeah,
0: paint I, your I, kid's
1: I... room whatever color you want.
0: I know. <laughs> I know be fine. it's it's, well, it's, what's so funny about it is it always does come down to aesthetics. You were saying something earlier mm-hmm. and I kept thinking there's um, a few books that I'm reading right now that I i am sure you've read them or maybe you haven't, I want to recommend to you, but um, yes. you know, one of them was a book I read for last month's book club, we do a summer book club for the podcast, but it's called, um, you may also like by Tim Vanderbilt. And on yeah. one of the beginning chapters, he says, you know, taste is more important than it's like, it's more important than like religion or it's more sensitive than, mm. you know? And I think that's something that when we think, okay, well, we're talking about these big issues, like, you know, ch- childcare crisis and gun laws. And like, how can that reflect back down to colors? I would have, I would have said the same thing if not for the fact that I post about color on the internet and its association with yes. class. I think unless you, you post something like, Hey, disliking bright colors simply because it's associated with McDonald's is classes. And then all of a sudden people become wildly unhinged. I'll just really completely book is chromophobia, but yes, 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 yes. Of your feedback. if like what the internet and how it reacts to color, like what, what kind of comments you get and how has that shaped your view on your sad beige project?
1: I mean, I definitely get and I understand where so many people are coming from when they say this is calming. Um, and that is definitely a lot of people. And I'm always like, my commentary has nothing to do with that. It is really about the class aesthetic. But I have a lot of other people who come in and just say, Well, like, why would I want it to be ugly? And it's like, okay, let's dive in a little bit. Why do you think that's ugly? Is it just a personal preference? Because it's very interesting that your personal preference aligns very specifically with a line in the sand between upper class and lower class. Very interesting that your personal opinion would somehow fall on the side of what's better for you and respectable Mm -hmm. and telegraphs to the world you're not poor. Maybe it is just a personal aesthetic, but when it's a lot of people, I'm like, look, can we acknowledge that something is happening here? I mean, I remember the McDonald's of my childhood and they were so much more garish than they are now. And I think there's a reason for that. I think that they are trying to pull in more people and to do that, you can't have broke aesthetic.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And there's also an association of color with maturing and masculinity. I feel like the lack Ooh. of color, getting back to that book, Chromophobia, it's really good. It's a yes, quick read. It's wonderful. Oh yeah. You read it? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Fantastic. If anyone's like, I don't know, I'm not buying it yet, read that book, sit with it for a moment and then get back to me. Again, it's, it's just, it's a really, really good book. But there's also sort of this idea that like, that the lack of color, or I will just say like refinement, like a artfully placed pop of color, you know, that's kind of where it is. Mm -hmm. now.
1: Yes, the pop
0: of color. (laughs) Yeah. But you have to earn it by making everything Mm -hmm. white and clean perfect first.
1: Yes. Oh, although that reminds me that, Another comment that I started to get, and this one I really enjoyed mm-hmm. and agreed with, was that I think part of the reason why this aesthetic is so popular is because of influencers. And not just influencers liking the aesthetic, but influencers using the aesthetic to their marketing advantage. Because if you are talking a product that's SpawnCon and it's a color, then having your life, your background, because if your whole life is content, then where you live is your backdrop. If you want to have that item pop, then your life has to be beige it has to be neutral so that whatever you're hawking at that particular time pops out and i was like there it is we're done
0: like All a right, gallery
1: cool.
0: it has yeah. to be like a gallery no and that's mm-hmm. and it also it de- depersonalizes it right if it was, yes. my own, it was like everything's so like chaotic and colorful and very it's, per- it's you it's you and like you don't want to
1: sell you, you aren't selling you necessarily some to a certain ex- extent it is but you want it to be relatable to people. And to do that, you kind of have to have a blank canvas that people can then mirror themselves onto.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes, I'm like, n- uh, yeah. It's like so many. That is such an important. If if someone's listening who wrote that, comment, like, <laughs> thank you so much. Oh my gosh, so incredibly yes. insightful. Yeah, yes. because we do. You know, the, right now, those are sort of the purveyors of taste and aesthetic. Right now, and mm-hmm. we're mirroring ourselves after a showroom. Like it, it's 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 unthinkable yeah. to think that we would mirror ourselves after a QVC set. But when you say it that way, I'm like, that's exactly what we're doing. That's. Yes. It's incredibly interesting. No, I, I, and I think, you know, that's the thing also, all of the isms are inter- intersecting. They're intertwined. Classism. Yes. Yeah, it's all of these things coming together. And colonialism. And yeah, and so, you know, with the idea of, you know, even as an artist, the fact that I sort of refuse to give up the bright colors, and more specifically pink, has shown up as sort of I would say maybe a detriment to my work in the more conventional sense that it's, it's my worst phrase that I I can't stand is like, let me ask my husband. I've gotten so many (laughs) to the finish line (laughs) and then like completely gotten vetoed by a husband. But, you know, there's also this idea that like uh, artwork is lesser if it's associated with femininity and childlike thing. And all of those things are more colorful than their masculine and adult counterpart. And I think sometimes the childlike thing, I'm curious what you think, plays into it as well, because it's this idea that you grow out of colors, that you reach a sophistication, that the natural progression is that yes. one day you will no longer have the taste. And that sort of inherently becomes a marker of good versus bad in a subconscious way. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why it's trickled down to toys. I know you mentioned earlier that a lot of it's more about parents, but you know why would we live in an era where we want our children to not typically, like things that are typically associated
1: mm. with childhood? That's a wonderful question. I think part of it is that, and this kind of goes back to the marketing of it, really, with the marketing images of children being very sad and pensive, you know, looking like they just read, like, Proust or something. And, like, I think it's that we want children to be an extension of ourselves. And if we think of ourselves as serious people, then we want to see children being similarly serious. We want to see them being little scholars. We want to see them being wise beyond their years. That's something that we place like value in. When we say a kid is like wise beyond their years, it's a compliment. It's something positive. And so when we see that reflected in marketing, particularly to the upper class, I think it's an extension of that. And so it would make perfect sense that we wouldn't want... Those traditionally childlike things, because we want our child to be better than that. Air quotes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> because we're kind trying to optimize our child. Yes, I I love that, and I'll to kind of you know summarize what I I take from that is it's almost like we've reached a point where we need a certain level of you know, exceptionalism from our children that so yes. because of the growing wage gap, because of the fact that most of us are paycheck to paycheck. And I, I, I'll i put this oh, somewhere, but the vast majority of us couldn't afford a $400 emergency nope. because <laughs> that is the norm. We almost, it's almost like we're projecting exceptionalism onto our children and it's, you know, a hopeful and sad attempt to have them, you know, exceed. We want them to do better. Yeah. Yeah. Because not good enough, no longer means a factory job that pays enough and has insurance. And like, maybe you don't go on vacation, but you can afford a living to be yeah. a statistical average now means that you won't have your needs met, and nobody wants that for their children. And I think that, yes. you know, to bring it all back to the kind of beginning and that that's where like, I think the seriousness of what you're doing, you know, it's like, you can say, Oh, it's just color, but it's, it, it is that deep. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm ribbing
1: a lot. <laughs> like yeah. I like to think that I'm, I'm talking about a lot without necessarily saying it when I, when I do that kind of thing, but yeah, like, and I think it's a very good approach to go with. I really love what you just said, because it really is gentle to parents because we are anxious and we are responding to that anxiety and we are not trying to harm our kids. I don't think anybody yeah. is making decisions that they're like, you know what, this is going to be bad for my kids. Yeah. I, yeah. Nobody yeah, totally. is doing that. Right. Like, And so I think that being gentle to parents is important. And that's probably something I should do more of or be more explicit about is that because so many times I've been interviewed and people are like, are you making fun of them? And I'm like, no, I'm making fun of the marketing. Yes. No, and I sometimes I never get that us. from your
0: work. I I feel like you you. I mean, I maybe just because I watch every single one of your videos, but um, <laughs> I I never get that. I get that it's critical of like what they're trying to sell us, the story that they're trying to sell us, that like it's not yeah. through community and making you know public safety nets for our future generations right. that it's you know picking beige clothing. And I think if you look a little bit past the like silly marketing of it all, I think it's very clear in your work that that's that's exactly what's happening. But I think also parents are punching back so maybe it's a source of oh, yeah. people and they lose the nuance.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes people watch 2 seconds of it and then comment. Okay. <laughs> Which is what we all do sometimes. Totally. so totally. No shade.
0: Yeah, and I <laughs> want to bring it to kind of the last question. Again, I could chat with you yeah. for a 5 hours straight, but to preserve That's your so time. <laughs> um, you know, I I want to talk a little bit about how like Basically, just like fangirl and give you like a tremendous amount of respect. I I think you are so oh, you. A, like an artist, and I love the projects you're doing. And I could only dream of having that kind of impact. I've heard Sad beige throw around everywhere, like on TV shows. <laughs> I hear it all the time, and I'm like, it's you have perfectly wild. Something. It's a, it's amazing. I put it on your CD. It's so weird. It's so good. Um, <laughs> I I'm curious if someone is like you know, if, if if they're a mom or there's someone who feels a little bit like left out of like being an artist, they don't, maybe they don't have an art degree or maybe they do. And it doesn't feel right. Or I, you know, whatever reason and they want, and they feel the desire to kind of start a series or a project, but Mm. it's not a painting and it's not a sculpture. It's through the medium of social media. Do you have advice for someone who wants to take themselves seriously, but also wants to use that particular medium to, to start a project?
1: So I've been a creative person for basically my whole life. I did an undergrad in um, English, but also creative writing. So I've been doing this for a very long time. And I will say one, just put it out there and you will refine as you go. You are never gonna put out a fully perfect piece of work every time. I mean, I post silly stuff. And then a day later, I'm like, wow, that was the worst possible thing you could have created. Why did you do this? And it's like, you just have to keep moving, keep creating and don't let what is it? Like don't let perfect be the enemy of the good, or maybe it's like, don't let good be the enemy of perfect, either way. Like yeah. just keep creating because that's how you wind up like you just you kind of riffing. really, all I'm doing is riffing. And when I hit on a riff that works, I'm just kind of jamming around and figuring out and noodling until I find out what works. And I do that with writing, too. I've done a lot of like lists for McSweeney's. Yeah. And the reason I do lists is because visually, it's very fun for me to see which order I should put these things in and not only how they sound in a particular order but also how they look like I have a very specific arc that I'm looking for I want it to kind of ebb and flow I want it to look good and so just noodle figure out what is fun for you to create because if you don't have the joy there It's not worth doing. Like if I'm not in a sad beige mood, I can't force it because most of the time I'm not writing these things ahead of time. I'm just riffing. Mm. And so you really have to just find what brings you joy and do it. And don't worry about it being perfect because everything I put out, I look back on and I'm like, that could have been better. That could have been funnier. You should have said this. You should have said that. And I'm like, well, next time. And it's okay because the stakes are so low. (laughs) Like I'm just goofing around. Um, And so that's my advice to just do what brings you joy and noodle around and you'll hit on it eventually.
0: Oh, that is so good. That's, I feel like every creative person can totally take something from that. And then I just finally, again, I know I'm like fangirling, but I want to say like, (laughs) Thank you to, like, the part of you that, like, treats what you do seriously. I, the ultimate irony is that you're making fun of, like, the aesthetics of seriousness. But I wanted to say, like, <laughs> thank you because, like, taking seriously doesn't mean gray and buttoned down and suit no. you know, collars and taking seriously means showing up over and over. Like I think of parenting, the most serious thing you can do is be incredibly yes. consistent in your children's life, but that's not yes. always that's messy buns and like armpit stains. Yeah. It's just, it's gnarly, but it's like, it's the serious thing. And I feel like with your art, art projects, I'm totally going with, that. I'm totally calling it that with your art, okay. I feel like you know, there's so much working against you in the sense of being taken seriously, even just oh, like gosh, being yes. and presenting person on the internet. Like there's so yes, much- Yes, I was gonna say, say, I'm
1: like, first of all, first of all, I am not like traditionally pretty, which is a huge barrier in a visual platform. Like I know, and it's like, if you say it, then people are like, well, you just, ha- you just aren't funny. And I'm like, sure, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but no. also there are other algorithmic forces that are not a fan of me mm-hmm. because i don't have the face of people who are pretty and yeah, so Mary, you have Mary. not only just being yeah. a woman a she day on the internet but you also have the aesthetic of who i am working and so like again like for a creative person i would say it's you might face that don't worry about it just do it anyway because if you have something to say you're never going to be the right version of you for the algorithm I mean, I guess I could use a filter and make myself look like somebody
0: else. <laughs> but then you get clocked on the filter. There's literally exactly. no I mean, there's exactly. dragging
1: Margot Robbie right now. So like, literally. Oh my God. But, and like that, honestly, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna have my face and my face is my face. Yeah. And like, it's very funny to me though, because I had someone comment the other day because I've been doing more front-facing camera work than I was with Sad Beige,
0: yeah, um,
1: where it's just my voice. And so I had someone comment, and they followed me to several videos to post the same comment. So I was like, this is very specific. Yeah. They were like, I don't come on this app to watch a 34-year-old mom try to be funny. Oh. And I was like, "It." let me tell you, it rattled in my head for weeks. It was like okay. a mantra. And I was like, dare they they don't come onto this app 34 year old mom trying to be funny like and suddenly i was just like i think i know what's going on they saw my face Mm. they liked it because they they commented they were like i like the sad beige stuff and Mm. i was like you like the sad beige because you could pretend i was anyone i could be who you thought i was in your mind apparently an octogenarian german man
0: oh (laughs) that's apparently better oh (laughs) People are so wild on the internet, but you have yes. to, I, mean, I know you know this. You just have to let it go because you can't be perfect for everybody. There's always
1: going to be that person who follows you around and it's like the worst demon in your head. And yeah. once you can just turn around and be like, oh, I see what's going on. Then it kind of diffuses them. Yeah. Like they, it doesn't have the power on me that it had over me yeah. before. Once I was able to realize what was, I think, really at the heart of it. And I don't think they were aware that that was the heart of it.
0: No, they just were aware that they were feeling uncomfortable because of their own, yeah. you know, problems. And I think exactly that's it's it, whenever people say something like that, I always feel like. They're not pointing at me. They're pointing at an incongruency with the power structure and how I show yes. up in the world.
1: And yes. so they're, they're
0: seeing that gap there. They're like, woman and smart. And I don't get it. And and <laughs> instead, of, instead of saying, like, I feel insecure because I don't fit the power structure, they mm-hmm. would rather point at you and project that onto you. Apparently, it bothers yeah. them so much that he followed you for multiple po- you know which well, is like, if you can detach, you can feel sympathetic for him. <laughs> right.
1: And also, they were wrong. I'm not 34. I'm 36. Hey. So- I'm crone on
0: TikTok, all right? Yeah, no, don't no worry.
1: Like, the average
0: age right. is like 15. Yeah, get it right, please. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I think you handle it beautifully. I love all of the series that you do so genuinely. And I can tell it is an art project and I love the way you show up and, and and really in everything you do. It's been a fun journey. I know you know this too, but like with with any time you like strike gold with something where you, you know, you hit the internet just where it's it's feeling that yes. and it perfectly and there's ebbs and flows, I feel like I'm watching an artist at work when I watch you and just know that like, I'm, thank you. And I think you're doing amazing things. And I wanted to thank you again, so sincerely for, for sharing your time with me right now. I know you have thank lots you. of things to get back to art and children, of course. <laughs> yes. Um, but I wanted to say, is there anything, how can people support you? I, how do we help? Yeah. Beige going? How do we keep Haley making art?
1: So to help me keep making art, the best thing you can do is join my Patreon. Um, I have a $3 level. It's patreon.com slash sadbeige. And at the $3 level, that's basically less than an hour of street parking. And mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to support me. So stop parking on the street for an hour <laughs> and support me. <laughs> yeah. um, but also you can follow me on Instagram. I'm official sadbeige over there and that's really helpful to me in publishing. I'm actually an author. I have a book that's out on submission right now with my literary agent, um, yeah. which I'm very excited about. I would love it for to be, for it to be picked up. Uh, so if you're an editor out there listening, yeah. <laughs> reach out to my literary agent to get a copy of that. Um, but also following on Instagram is really, really helpful for me, because that's really the, the, the platform that... Um, larger businesses and publishers look at. So having that platform is really, really important to me. Um, and it really does support me if people follow me over there and the yeah. Patreon again is patreon.com slash
0: Yes. I will link everything in the show notes and definitely follow on Instagram. You post amazing stuff. You will be so it like brightens my day when I see it. it <laughs> and it's just well, same with well your work.
1: You're your work it fills me with so much joy. Every time I see it, I am just like, it, it just, it tickles my brain in just the right way. I love it so much. It's so joyful and colorful. And like, yeah. I love the fact that it's not just the art, it's that you're also saying something with it. And that I really respect and
0: really love. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm I'm mouthy and annoying and I'm talking you know, I I talk Ash, at not point, at all. So yeah, So it, it it's very it fits with me and I love it. But I again I wanted to thank you. I will put all of the links to where people can support you, the Patreon, your Instagram, your TikTok, um, and anywhere people can find you. Thank you again so much for being here. It was such a thank pleasure you. to talk to you. And I am, you know, trying to push back talking to you for five more hours. So I'm gonna <laughs> let you go. But um, let's stay in touch, okay? Yes. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. And of course, I always wanted to take a moment to thank everyone who has taken the time to leave a review, whether it's just leaving a star or writing something out. It's tremendously helpful, not only for the feedback, but of course it helps me in the Apple podcast store, which helps me to reach new people. It's wonderfully helpful for a podcast in its first season, like the Not Sorry Art podcast. So if you guys wanted to take a moment to leave a review, I will read off your handle on next week's episode as a thank you. Thank you for everyone who's already taken the time to do that. I appreciate you so much and of course guys thank you for listening and happy creating